It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. We're going to talk to Robin Rachel also known as the Silver Lining Explorer, who is a professional photographer fighting blindness due to retinitis pigmentosa and Usher syndrome. She has got a uh, pretty unique story about someone losing vision and being in charge of taking photos for people, especially at certain events like weddings and things. So I'm interested to hear how she manages that and, and things that she's done to adapt her uh, business as a uh, photographer and particularly in the in the wedding industry. She also has kind of pivoted her life as many of us have through certain things that happened and then COVID and not just all the craziness that the world has been in the last few years into uh, traveling the globe with her family. And she's developed a motto to live fully, travel often, and explore always, which I think is just a dynamite way to uh, to live and a great mindset to have. So let's jump over to, to Chicago, which Robin calls home base, at least for now. Hey, Robin, Rachel, thanks a bunch for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Well, I'm excited that you're excited because not everybody <laughs> is so excited to chat with me, at least in my, my personal life. So it's, <laughs> it's good that we can mix it up a little bit. Pro photographer fighting blindness through RP and Usher's syndrome. That's quite a contrasting predicament you're in there with uh, an, an oxymoron. Yeah, oxymoron. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about some photography and, and you've done some kind of crazy exploring and stuff too. So that should be pretty interesting, but I kind of want to set the table with the RP and Usher's syndrome stuff. So tell me a little bit about your journey with that. When did you discover that? And how did that kind of manifest itself in your life? I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa when I was 31. After we did genetic testing with both my parents, they found out that it was recessive in both of them. Um, so no one in my family had it. We had I didn't even know that it was a thing. It wasn't something that a strange uncle had or anything like that. So it was completely a new discovery for, for me and my family. After they did the gene therapy, they or the genetic testing, they had pinpointed it to be Usher's 2A. So I don't have any hearing loss, but I had noticed that my vision was changing and I didn't know why. And so that's what kind of started my journey to seek medical attention to see what was kind of going on with my body at the time. Okay. So age 31, um, I just kind of assumed you were like 25. So I guess I'm a little off on your, on your age, there, which is okay. That's fine. <laughs> which I will take as a compliment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 31, prior to 31, like what were the signs or things that, I mean, at, at age 10 or 15 or 20 or 25, was there any things that you can like with retrospect, look at and think, yeah, okay that was happening then or was it all just changed like this massive wave of change right at age 31 or so? Yeah, I would not say that I had any inkling. There was nothing, no indications at any point in my life 
Um, I would say probably around age 30, I knew something was going on with my body. And from the way that my doctor explained retinitis pigmentosa to me is that the degeneration of rods and cones obviously happens and that's what affects your light scepters and, you know, the loss of peripheral vision. But the way he explained it to me is that you have built in, it's kind of like you have a spare tire and you have extra rods and cones built in. So for me, you know, up until age 30, I still had this degeneration but it wasn't depleting the rods and cones that I actually needed. So even though I was experiencing this and this was a disease that I had my entire life, it just didn't kind of deplete into what I needed until let's say age 30. I think that's great. I mean, you know, I, I've talked to lots of people that even at a, an age of in the, in the early, you know, single digits into their teens, things really manifest and, and get aggressive with that. And I've, I've also talked to people that have made it to their forties or fifties and then it, it starts kind of going there. So it's really all over the board all over as the board. far as when it, it takes effect in individuals. And obviously I would, I would guess the later in life, probably the better because vision's a good thing to have. I mean, it's one yes. of those, one of those senses that you want to hang on. Yeah. Hang on to as long yes, as you especially can, if right? you're a photographer. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. So that, <laughs> That is a super unique part of this. You know, I've, there's a, another guy I've had on the podcast, Lance Johnson. I don't know if you know Lance Johnson. He has a podcast himself called the See Through Podcast. And he has RP and he is probably, uh, I'm guessing he's similar in age to you, uh, or at least when you just start, started hearing or uh, sensing yours. I think he's in his early 30s. Okay. And he's kind of at the beginning stages of that. And that's what he podcasts about. I shout out to Lance and the, the see through podcast. He's a good guy. You should check him out. I will definitely. He's kind of affected more later in life. I mean, I don't know if he would say that or not, but based on some people that I've talked to and what I've heard, RP can, can strike at any time, really. But it seems like most people that I've talked to um, find it earlier in life. So uh, 31 is yeah. probably, probably great. Pretty lucky considering for sure. And yeah, you are correct. I, I feel like there's a spectrum of all ages and the trajectory of the way it works is very inconsistent and there's no like rhyme or reason of why it happens the way it does. So people always ask me how, like, how long will you have this vision for, you know, when will you go actually blind? And there's no answer. Like I could plateau have huge dips in vision loss. And, you know, my, I go to the doctor every two years and it's just always inconsistent. Sometimes my, I haven't lost any vision in four years. And then I have these like large dips and it just kind of is what it is. So do you have a clinical definition for your vision? Is there, is there a 2050, 2200, 2600, anything like that? Or is it? I don't know. I have not been told that. I don't know. I don't know the exact numbers for that. Okay. And with RP, does it kind of, is it kind of like, you know, this is the age old question. Like, so what can you see? What can't you see? You're, you're not blind. Of course, you know, this is the spectrum question where mm -hmm. even people with RP see things differently. That's kind of, we've for alluded sure. to a little bit. So if you could describe your vision, like, um, let's say you're, you're somebody 
Okay. I don't, I don't know if you do weddings anymore and we'll talk about that in a minute, but like somebody says, Hey, you're, you're going to photograph my wedding. Um, how can I be sure that you're going to see what needs to be seen for, for photography's sake? Like how, how do you describe your vision to people that want to know? So my central vision is perfect. It's completely clear. It's very strong. Um, I wear contacts, so I have very good vision in the center. But the way that RP works is it creates a t- tunnel vision. So I've lost my peripheral vision and it will just continue to come in. It will continue to narrow until eventually it could get as bad as looking through a straw. My night vision is very, very different than my day vision. My day vision, I have about 90 degrees left. So I'm still legally able to drive. I still have a very good range of vision. Um, I have to scan a lot. So I, I can't see anything on the sides of my face, my body, anything like that underneath. So I have to scan more often than a normal person, but I still have very high functioning vision. At night, it's about 25 degrees. So it definitely narrows in. That's a big change, yeah. A huge change. So when I am in really low light, you know, I may grab, or like when we go into restaurants that are very dimly lit, I may have to like grab my husband's arm to kind of help me um, to see because it's really, I can only see what's directly in front of me. The nice thing about, even though I have poor night vision, I live in Chicago and because I am in such an urban environment and there's so much ambient light, it's not like being in, you know, a uh, rural place where there's not a lot of light. So that does really benefit me in terms of maneuvering through the city um, because I do have so much ambient light to help me out. Okay. And you're not in a situation where you use any sort of assistive, at least outwardly facing assistive Devices no. like a like a cane, cane. or a white do- uh, or a, nope. a dog. Seeing eye dog, yeah. not yet. No, I. Yeah. So, like a question that would uh, the thing, things that would come up for me all the time would be: uh, Do you go to Starbucks ever? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. So, like they, um, there's a drink and it's got you know, hey, Robin, your drink's ready, and so there's Robin written on a cup at the end of the bar, and can you can you make out your name on a Starbucks cup? Yes, that's that would be no problem for me. Okay. One of the like super embarrassing situations for me is handshakes because I never see them. And then it creates this like awkward situation oh, yes. where people yes, are yes. just holding out their hand and I don't see it. And then I'm just kind of staring at them. them and you're like, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty that's common with certainly yes. happens. I mean, people that are again totally blind or wearing glasses or a cane or a dog or something, I think it's a little bit more obvious to other yeah. people, but for uh, those of us that are in between, you know, I know I've done a lot of those. I've I've missed a lot of those because people will tell me like, "Hey, I'm shaking your hand," or "Hey, I want to," you like, know, or somebody hey, I'm shake with, shake my like, hand, please, right? Or shake somebody I'm with, like, "Hey, they're trying to shake your hand." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So, but but for every time there wasn't somebody that didn't want to say that, or what I wasn't with somebody that I've missed those. You know, who knows how many times that's happened? But yeah, it definitely gives people the wrong opinion or the wrong impression sure. right, about what, what this guy's doing. Like, oh, this guy's too good for me or didn't want to shake my hand. <laughs> you know, so that that certainly can happen. And you're not wearing a badge that says I have RP. And even if you were wearing a badge that said I have RP, I don't know if people would know what that means anyway, would they? I, I definitely not. I, yeah, I don't believe so at all. So just kind of going forward too, you mentioned you're married and I think you're you have a child. I have a five and a half year old daughter. Okay. Yeah. Well, so lots of fun there too. 
was there any reservation in your mind about going forward with, you know, this genetic situation? Like, did you have testing done or were you nervous about that going forward? Yeah. So we actually had to go through, um, IVF to get my daughter. So even that, the fact that I have this disease and then we had to go through treatment, we were kind of on the fence. And when I had talked to my doctor and we were starting our fertility journey at that point, I had only been diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. So when I talked to my doctor and I said, if I was to pass this on, would it be at the same level as my RP. So thinking like she would have 30 years before it would actually onset in him. And he said, yes, most likely it would be mild, like your case. And the only way, since it was recessive in both my parents, the only way that she could get it is if my husband was a carrier, which was like one quarter of a percentage. So at that point, there was really no concern for us. It was such a low percentage. Heaven forbid she gets it. I have confidence that in 30 years, or at least I'm extremely hopeful that there's some sort of cure for her. However, once I actually got pregnant, and like I had mentioned, they had done the blood samples from both my parents, and it does take a while to find out what is the actual mutation. While I was pregnant, they had called me and said, well, you actually have Usher's 2A. RP is a cause of Usher's 2A. But if your daughter does have this, she probably will be born with severe hearing loss. Mm. So obviously Yikes. that Jeez. kind of, yes, that kind of change. I mean, it still was at the very low level of like one quarter of a percentage, but it went from being like, okay, well, worst case scenario, she has this, she's going to, it's going to be mild and we hope for a cure to like, now, you know, I have to hope that my child is not born with this and does not have this hearing loss that I was so lucky to not have. For whatever reason, I have no hearing loss, which is not particularly common with Usher's 2A. So it kind of changed the scope a little bit, but you know, at that point, also going through IVF, we were just happy to be pregnant and whatever cards were dealt our way, we were going to be grateful for and deal with. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And then just kind of to wrap up the RP thing, was there, what, what was the moment in time or was there an event or something that happened where you're like thinking, I gotta, I need to, to look further into this. Did you have any, you said you didn't really have any signs growing up. Was there an event that happened where you're like, okay, this is, something's going on here. I just remember that, you know, on wedding days, there's so many things going on and I'm really tall. I'm six feet tall. And I feel like tall girls are always kind of thought to be clumsy. And I always prided myself on being pretty graceful and pretty athletic for my height. And I just kept bumping into things or knocking things over. And I would go to the grocery store and I would have my shopping cart and I would turn and there'd be someone there out of what seemed like nowhere. And I just knew something was off with my vision and I couldn't, I, I couldn't pinpoint. I didn't know, had no idea what it was, but I just knew something was going on. So like I mentioned, I wear contacts. I went to um, lens crafters and I just did an eye exam with them and you can upgrade to get a peripheral test done. And so I had paid to do the upgrade 
and the doctor was holding her fingers out on the side of my my head asking me how many fingers she was holding up and I couldn't tell her and she was like oh it's fine you just have your contacts out it's no big deal and I said to her no like I know something's going on with my body let me put my contacts in I want to do this test right and so I put my contacts in and she did the same thing and I'm like I don't even see your hands I can't see anything I don't know how many fingers you're holding up I don't even see your hands And so at that point, she, like, I could see that there was concern. And so at that point, she had sent me to a specialist to do further testing. And that's kind of how it happened to to receive the diagnosis. All right. So let's make things a little wacky now. I've got some kind of funny (laughs) questions that I want to ask you about. Now, you mentioned your photographer and you mentioned weddings. Yes. Um, So I want to kind of find out some, some questions about... Uh, Robin Rachel, the photographer, what was your first photo you remember taking? Okay, so I I learned to do photography in high school, and I learned on a black and white film camera developing my own pictures, um, which makes me sound way older than I am. I mean, I am old, but not that that old. Um, so I remember, and I still have this picture. I have this black and white picture of my my cousin's daughter when she was I think eight months old and they still have it in their house and I still have a print of it and she's now 23. Very cool so that yeah, yeah that's a cool first photo story yes. actually yeah mm-hmm. yeah so it's a really fun kind of heirloom for my journey and you know a preservation of her youth and it's just a really special photo for our family. What is the funniest thing that's happened that you've witnessed anyway um, that you've been, maybe not even a wedding you were taking photos at, but just maybe the the funniest thing that happened at a a wedding that you've been at besides your own. Let's not, let's not incriminate anybody here. Oh my gosh. Hmm. Funniest thing. Cause like just to add some color to this, I was at a wedding, a friend of mine that I went to high school with and um, this isn't really funny, but I think it's, I think it's funny, <laughs> but like um, the um, the groom's grandfather and the bride's mother got into a fight. Oh no! Actually, like they were sitting at the same table and they were trying to reserve a seat, and uh, the groom or the bride's mom just wasn't having it, and um, she actually hit the guy with the purse, like she whacked oh, him. Oh no! Always a good oh. way to to get a wedding started I, on the right foot. Yeah. I don't think I've seen any purse hitting incidences. I can't think of anything. I, I'm sure there's a million crazy, wacky, funny things that have happened. I do remember that I worked with this one couple that they were lovely people, very kind to me, but they were fairly, let's say, self-indulgent where um, she liked to sing. And so they paid an insane amount, like probably $15,000 to have a wedding band there. And they made all of their, the bands like unplug. And the bride had to like have this moment where she sang the song, like the song and the groom played an instrument and they had like three different setups. So it was like the groomsmen played instruments for one song and then the family played instruments for another song and then 
for their first dance, they did a costume change and they did the song from Dirty Dancing with like the full lift. Oh. And yeah. Yeah. And then she did a costume change for her father daughter first dance. And she, it was like, Whoa, I've already gotten tired from- of it. Yeah. That's, that is, that is too much. We're supposed to be having fun yeah. here, right? Costume changes. Yeah. And yeah. It was, it was just, I, I mean, it was just, it was a lot. So. Yeah. It's, uh, that sounds like a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> yes, for uh, the guests, I'm sure. Okay, so where's the coolest place you've ever taken pictures at in a wedding setting? Like, have you been anything anywhere super cool for that? I mean, I've traveled internationally for weddings, so obviously shooting like anywhere different outside of Chicago is really cool. I Chicago is the best city to shoot in, though. There's so many cool places. Um, I did a really, really cool shoot on the sky deck at, so it's now the Willis Tower, but in Chicago, we call it the Sears Tower. So it's the tallest yes, building yes. in I've Chicago. Yes, and yes. Yeah. So they have, did you go to the sky deck? Yes, of course. You, I mean, okay. Yeah. You yeah. got this little so, plexiglass things that stick mm-hmm. out the side. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. So you, you can stand on the plexiglass and you can see the entire city from the glass and it's just really cool. And it's. For someone like me who's terrified of heights, it's that was weird. You know, yeah. I mean, even bit, though it's yeah. there's obviously like thousands of people that do that every year, but I, I remember standing on that thinking this is going to fall at any second oh, yeah. because I'm standing on it. Yep, for sure. And there's always like a little crack about to start there. Um, but yeah. yeah, I got I did the shoot for this bride and groom, and they were in one of the the sky decks, the ple- like the plexiglass that you mentioned, and I shot it from a different one. So they were just kind of in this box hanging on the side of the building with, you know, all yeah. these Chicago skyline behind them. And it was just like such a cool shot and just like a really, a really cool moment. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. I, I remember that. That was, uh, that was, <laughs> that was a, that was an interesting, interesting episode for us to be in that little, uh, I call it the Sears Tower too. I know it's yes. changed names and Willis or whatever it is. Now. I don't know if anyone really call. I feel like they have to say it, but like no one in Chicago will ever call it anything but the Sears Tower. Yeah, and it's too bad so. for whoever the owner is now or Willis or whoever it is because yeah. it's, it's always the Sears Tower, right? Yes, it will forever be the Sears Tower. Have you ever been to a wedding where the uh, bride or groom didn't show up? Never. That's Never. good. That's I good. know in like 14 years and I shot like 25 to 30 weddings per year. I did have people cancel weddings. I think the closest to canceling that I was out was maybe like two months. So it wasn't even anything that was like a week out, two weeks out. Um, so I've never, I've never had any, no one like no runaway brides. Okay. Well, speaking of the runaway bride, how many times have you met Bridezilla? Oh, too many to count. <laughs> Bridezillas and like the moms, the mother of the brides are yeah. like, I think I've had more bad mother of the brides than Bridezillas. But overall, I will say like, I was so lucky. Like I had very high maintenance clients. Like they asked a lot of me. I got paid very well though. But out of doing this, I mean, I don't even know how many weddings I shot. Like I said, 13, 14 years of shooting, anywhere between like 25 to 35 weddings per year. And I would say I had maybe like five really, really, really difficult, bad clients. I mean, that's a great ratio. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I was very, very lucky. 
How many cameras do you have? Oh my goodness. Or have you um, had? I mean like dozens and dozens or No, not dozens and dozens. No. I, I shoot Canon and they're you know, they're really good cameras. Not too many. How about lenses? Would... How many lenses have you been through? I my kit like on a on a given wedding day, I would show up with two camera bodies and probably six or seven lenses and three flashes. So a solid kit, but again, the lenses they last like you know almost a lifetime. I think two of my most populars I had to replace, but other than that, and maybe like repairs here and there and cleanings, but it's not like you're buying you know, new lenses, new $2,500 lenses every year. Like you'll get, you know, five, six, seven, eight years out of each lens. Okay. So not crazy. Not crazy. Expensive. Definitely but not, expensive. Yeah. Not like, yes, like quality, not quantity camera equipment. And you're a Canon kind of kind of gal. Huh? I'm a Canon. Yeah. I've, yes, I am a Canon girl. All right. Well, that concludes the crazy questions. <laughs> so hopefully that was somewhat interesting. I think it's uh, always interesting talking to a wedding photographer because there's just so many, you know, being in a, in my wedding, what I like to call my first wedding, um, which is also my only wedding. There's just so much stuff that happens behind the scenes. And there's so many things that you got to just nail that uh, because it, it only happens once. Right. And it right. seems like there's a lot of pressure, especially for the the people involved in that to make sure they're hitting everything. So that's got to be a pretty high pressure environment to be working. It in. was, it was insane. It was, it was stressful, but I liked the adrenaline of it, the kind of chaos. And I liked that every wedding that I showed up to was different. The clients were different. The decor was different. The style, the music, the energies were different. So it was always fun because I knew every day was going to be something new. But yes, it was, I'm pretty sure took many years off my life. <laughs> <laughs> but as the, as, as it pertains to your vision, and obviously that's a pretty key element of getting photography right, at least for the people that are viewing the end product to make sure all the, the, the scenes and the things were captured in the correct framing and lighting and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. that had to kind of weigh heavy on you, I would imagine, or, or at least as things start to develop or change with your, your vision that had to take a toll on that too. Yeah. So early on, it, I didn't have these, this huge loss. So I feel like I was able to, to do everything as I would have without this disease. As it got later on in my career, there were certain adjustments that I had to make. Like I mentioned, I'm always scanning and the scanning just had to get more prevalent. I couldn't move around as quickly as I, you know, would have previously done. And, you know, I always had a second shooter with me. So when it came to like the dancing time, when it was low lights and it was the reception and everyone's kind of intoxicated and going crazy and coming out of all these different directions. And, you know, it's just kind of chaos on the dance floor. I would have to have my second shooter kind of get into the pit of all the craziness. And I would kind of have to just like sweep around the outside because I just couldn't, it was too much for me in the heart of you know, mm -hmm. the madness of a dance floor. With that being said, I, you know, I shot at such a high level that I 
I closed down my wedding business at the end of 2019. And I think that I could have shot longer and still produced the same high quality of work, but I didn't know when that was going to start to deteriorate. And I worked so hard for so long to build this brand. And I believe that I had so much integrity behind what I did that I didn't want my disease to affect it. I never wanted it to be like, well, my pictures were better two years ago than they were now. I wanted to go off, like leave when my product was in t- like on top, knowing that I could say my disease did not affect what I was giving to my clients. So I did have to shut down my wedding business for this reason, because I didn't know how long I could say that. But, you know, up until that point, I would say, you know, I did have to make these minor modifications, but it never affected what I was giving to my clients. Okay. So that's kind of where I think we pick up the silver lining explorer, right? Mm-hmm. Jet setting the globe with your family yes. and yes. Uh, documenting all that with uh, photography and stuff. So that's kind of when that started to take off. Yep. So we knew that 2019, the end of 2019 was going to be my final year shooting wedding. So my husband and I had come up with this idea probably in 2018. So we knew that I was going to, you know, finish the contracts that I had in place. And obviously we had to save up an, a lot of money, um, but we had planned to leave in May, 2020 for a year long trip around the world. So my husband, my daughter, Eloise, who would have been three at the time and myself, we had rented out our, um, our home and we were going to leave May, 2020. We were going to travel the world. My husband had put in his resignation for his job. I wanted to document everything. I wanted to share my story. I, you know, I wanted to just experience the world the way I wanted to when my vision was still in a really good place and just kind of capture all of these moments and memories. And my hope was to create a coffee table book to sell and have part of the proceeds go to fight blindness. So again, we were supposed to leave May 2020. Obviously, we know how this ended. Yes, things and... things changed in, in May 2020. That um, Yes. We, in, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, and in retrospect, you may have shut down the photography thing because I don't imagine there are many weddings in 20 or even the first half of 21 either, right? Yes. So my husband was like, you left the the wedding business and you closed the door behind you when you went. And, you know, obviously it was devastated. I was gutted to have to shut down my business. But like you mentioned, there were no weddings in 2020, 2021. Like it was a nightmare for my industry just because nobody knew. Everyone just kept rescheduling, rescheduling, rescheduling. There was no end in sight for when life would be back to normal. So I'm grateful I didn't have to deal with that chaos, but obviously, like I'd mentioned, not only did, you know, I had just shut down my wedding business in hopes to go on this year long trip, but COVID not only shut down our big travel plans, but we had a contract in place to rent out our home. Oh, man. So we yeah. not only, you know, lost our trip, but we became homeless because we you know, had a contractual agreement for this rental yeah, for our yikes. for our place. So we luckily had my in-laws had a place that we could stay during the summer in Chicago. So we kind of waited that out. And then 
we did some like domestic travels and then we actually, my family got COVID in December, 2020. And once that happened, we kind of realized, okay, this wasn't really a big deal for us in terms of health wise. And we know that we have some sort of natural immunity for some period of time. And at that point we kind of hit the road and started traveling. You said you wanted to live fully, travel often, and explore always. Explore always. That's the way. Yeah. That's the way you do it now, right? Yeah, and and now we are extremely flexible, and as we had to be with the traveling during COVID. So we had so for basically from January 2021 until recently, we have visited. I think we're at 22 countries in the last wow. basically two. Uh, two years. Yeah. So it wasn't the original, you know, my husband never quit his job. So while we were traveling, he was working. And obviously there were a lot of countries that didn't open up to COVID. So most of the um, traveling that we did was in Central and South America. And then most of Europe, we've been to most of Europe at this point. Um, so there's still so much for us to do. We haven't spent much time in Southeast Asia. We haven't been to Australia, New Zealand. Um, my husband and I have been to Africa twice, but my daughter hasn't been there. So like we still have so much traveling to do, but at least we were able to, like I said, not, it wasn't our original trip, but it was really really amazing what we were able to see and experience. Yeah, it sounds crazy. So like where's the where's the coolest place you'd been or coolest experience you've had and what where, where do you plan to revisit? It's it's so hard to say because there were I mean almost every place that we visited we absolutely loved. I would say there was like two places that we wouldn't go back to and everywhere else we had amazing experiences and some of them were big experiences like hot air ballooning in Cappadocia, Turkey, or, you know, obviously picnicking at the Eiffel tower or, you know, boating through the islands of Colombia. But what I think our family appreciated the most were like the little hidden gems, you know, finding these places like the the wrong turns or the off-beaten like roads that we would just see something totally unexpected and i think those were the memories that we we cherished the most more so than like the huge kind of standard experiences yeah and your daughter was with you for for most or all of this uh, all adventure? of it yeah all cool. of it yeah so what does she think about that Oh, she loves it. She loves traveling. She is, you know, I think she's just naturally, I don't want to say she's naturally a jet setter, but she, since she's been a baby, she's never done well being in one place. Like she always thrived going to new places, meeting new people, seeing new things. Um, like, I mean, since she was like six months old, she would jump into the arms of strangers. Like she's just so friendly and so adaptable. So I don't know that this is something that I would say every child would have loved, but for her and her personality, she just thrives. She thrives in these environments. And who does the travel often and live fully mindset come from? Is that you, your husband or the combination? So I have 
traveled my entire life. My mom used to work for, she worked for Eastern Airlines before they went bankrupt. And then she became a travel agent. So travel has just kind of always been part of my life. And my husband traveled a bit growing up, but since we've been together, which we've been together for now, we're celebrating 10 years married. Woohoo. All right. Um, yeah. In what, two weeks, but we've been together for almost 17 years. So our life together has just been filled with so much travel. Okay. So what's the next big adventure? So we have um, Thanksgiving. We're heading to Europe. We're doing Edinburgh, which we haven't been to Scotland. We'll be in London for Thanksgiving. And then the day after Thanksgiving, the Christmas markets open up in Brussels. So we will head there um, for a couple days. So we're really excited. We've been to London. We haven't been to Brussels or Edinburgh. So that's exciting to see those two new spots. And then um, in for Christmas break, we're headed to Madrid. And then we're hoping to jump over to like the Canary Islands and then possibly Mallorca or Mallorca because we haven't been. We've been to Madrid, but not to Canary Islands or the Spanish Spanish islands. So those are two like bigger trips. Yeah. yeah. So how does school work with a <laughs> elementary age kid? And how does, how does work work? Like who, who funds all this? So you, you guys working while you're doing that or is it, is, is photography? How, how does that work? Yeah. So Cause it sounds pretty father- great. I think I'd like to sign up for something like that. <laughs> Well, okay. So keep in mind, we had saved, we had created this like nest egg of a lot of money to travel the world for, for one year. So, I mean, we, we worked really hard for mm-hmm. yeah. a year and a half to two years to save. And when COVID hit, like I said, we had our condo rented out. So we didn't have a mortgage and my husband was still working. So while we were traveling, any traveling that we were doing in terms of like where we were living, it was less money than our mortgage would have been. So we were kind of breaking even with that. And we had saved all this money. So we, after this two years of traveling, we have not like, we've dipped into that travel fund that we created, but we still have a significant amount of it um, still there. Nice. And then I've been doing other you know, I've been, I've pivoted in terms of photography. So I still am shooting and my husband's still working full time. And then I've been doing some content creating. So I've been working with some hotel brands. So I will go and shoot content for them and exchange. They'll host us um, at the hotel for an extended period of stay. So we're in terms of finances, that's kind of how we're still making it work. And like travel is where we put our money. So like you know, we both are relatively successful, but like, we don't have, you know, like insane cars. I don't spend a ton of money on clothes. We don't go to like expensive dinners when we're home. It's like traveling is what we put all of our money into. Awesome. Yeah. And you've documented some of those travels on your Instagram account, which I, which is where I bumped into you on Instagram and some interesting pictures there. And you've, I think you've got some like other, you've got another, um, photography companion in the drone and things. I think you've taken some aerial photos, which is 
is pretty cool too. So tell me about how that experience works. Yes. I, I love droning. It is, it's just such a different, interesting perspective. And for someone that is so visual and I've kind of seen everything, you know, at this horizontal view perspective for my entire life, being able to have a drone and get these bird eye perspectives and just like reaching different limits. It's so new and exciting and fun for me. And it's kind of the antithesis of a wedding day. So on a wedding day, I have to be like, I had to be in, you know, move around and I had to see everything at all times, but I had to pinpoint the one exact perfect moment that was happening in that exact moment. And the chaos is what kind of gave me anxiety with my disease with RP, but with a drone, I can kind of stand in one place. I don't have to worry about anything that's going on around me. I don't have to worry about any movement or anybody, or I don't have to worry about anything. And I can stand in one place and my drone goes wherever I want it to, to see perspectives of anything I want to, you know, while I get a bee with my feet planted on the ground in one place. So it's kind of the opposite of wedding photography. And it's this perfect pivot for me to still do what I love, but to find a way to adapt with my disease. So my husband made a good point. When you're droning, you, you see the photos, like the, the live feed on your phone. So he's like, all you need to be able to do is see your phone and you're going to be able to capture drone photography. That's the, that's how narrow my vision can get to. And I'm still going to be able to do that. But you're going to still keep living fully, traveling often, and... Exploring always. Exploring always, yeah. And we'll be able to follow along with you on Instagram. I'll have a link to your Instagram account in the show notes of the podcast and everything, too. Is that the best place for people to find you? Or is it RobinRachelPhotography.com? So RobinRachelPhotography.com has like my wedding work and family work, but Silver Lining Explorer, which is what my Instagram handle is. And I have a website that is silverliningexplorer.com. And it has that, it has really more about my story, some of the different charities and foundations that I really love and support. It has my fine art photography. So all of these travel photos that I have been taking that I hope soon to be you know, having in an exhibit or in galleries, kind of sharing my story that way. Um, And then it has some of our, like just our family photos, just family, like kind of sharing the story of our, our travels. And there's a blog attached to that, that has some stories and tips and all that kind of stuff. So in terms of kind of my pivot of my story and my journey, dealing with RP, traveling and photography, silverliningexplorer.com is more of that avenue. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, check you out there and follow you. Robin, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.